How could anyone keep from sharing this? Why would anyone not want to hear this? How is it even possible that the church in our country is in such rapid decline and so struggling when this precious good news is the treasure entrusted to us and our whole job is to figure out ways to give it away? I know we all have concerns, we have anxieties, we have sadness we bring in here this morning. Stick with this as we walk through this passage of Paul is weaving a tapestry here. He's building something so that we will leave here different than we came in. Uh, in Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will. This is one of the places where we get uh, we drive the kind of theological uh, idea of predestination, and, and you don't have to get all twisted up in that if you don't want to, with its layers of interpretation and difficult questions and so forth. I think it's enough to let it sink in that you have been chosen. The actual current version of you, not the you that you once were and would like to get back to, not the you that you think you should be but aren't quite there yet, but the actual you sitting here this morning, you, you have been chosen. The body of Christ given for you, you will hear. The blood of Christ shed for you. Why? So that we who were the first to set our hope on Christ might live for the praise of His glory. We are witnesses to the world of the glory of God. People should look at us and say, what is up with them? Why so generous? Why are they always volunteering? Why are they always giving of their time and their resources? And why so joyful? How do they even keep going in the midst of such sorrow? At the end of the service, we will ring a bell for those who have died in this past year. How can a place with that many names on a list like that even keep moving forward? People should be wondering. In Him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in Him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. And when you were baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you were also given this promise. Your name was spoken, child of God. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever. Last Sunday, we baptized little Nora, two-year-old Nora, when you're two years old, you have a, a bit an opinion of how things ought to go. And so as uh, we were preparing to have the baptism, we huddled, the parents and I, and we decided, you know, how exactly will, will you want Nora to be held when she comes to be baptized? She, she knew if someone was going to put water on her head and this was coming. But, you know, we thought probably she doesn't want to be flipped over backwards. You probably will hold her with her head toward the font, and I will lift the water to her as we do when we baptize adults. But we, so, so that was the plan. And when the moment came, we got a mom was had had Nora right there, and Nora did that. She just flipped herself over in her mom's arms, and and she was joyfully received the promise uh, of her baptism. And uh, it was a joyful moment to be sure. Child of God, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, marked with the cross of Christ forever. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of His glory. This is almost legal language, as if we have been brought before a judge or a magistrate to hear the reading of the will, right? Uh, 
guaranteeing our inheritance. Here's another way to put it. This cup is the new covenant or the new testament in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of your sin. The last will and testament of our Lord is to pour Himself out for us so that we might be claimed, fed, and forgiven before we are sent. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, and for this reason I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. You know, like it or not, we are building a reputation with our lives, with the way we're living our lives. I have heard more eulogies over the years than I would care to number. And I have long ordered funeral services so that when there is a, a eulogy or somebody's going to share about the one who has died, that that moment in the service comes before the sermon. Because sometimes I have some recovery to do after the eulogy. Oftentimes it's simply this kind of theology that we hear from someone sharing about their loved one who has died. It is, you know, she was so giving, so loving, so generous. If anybody is in heaven, it's my grandma or whoever the person was. And, and we understand the sentiment and the emotion, but it's really based on our kind of, this kind of natural tendency to gravitate toward the law as if it's our behavior that ultimately brings us into the eternal presence of God. And so I always go last in order to be able to bring the Word of God to bear on the proceedings, on the service. I make sure I speak after the memories are shared. And uh, there have been a few close calls over the years. When I was served in inner city Philadelphia, some of the local neighborhood undertakers, we called them in those days, uh, would call me to preside at a funeral service for somebody who had no connection whatsoever to any church. And I was happy to do it when I was able to. And I can remember one service for a woman who had passed away. And we, first of all, we had a, it was really difficult to get the people to come back in off the, off the sidewalk into the funeral home for, to start the service because they were all outside smoking. And when I got to the start of the service and I, I turned toward the open casket to look down and do an invocation to start the service, I, I saw that the woman had been placed in the casket with a cigarette in her hand and two little bottles of some kind of liquor next to her. You can imagine the, the eulogy that, and I was very happy that I was still to preach after that uh, had come during that services to remind everyone. On many occasions, and I will say on the vast majority of occasions, in fact, and this has true, been true here over these years at Prince of Peace. Memories shared are so full of stories of ways the person's life was a witness to their faith in Christ that a pastor's work is already done by the time the homily rolls around on the service. And I often just close my sermon notes in those cases, remind us of the promises of God, and get out to the luncheon. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know Him. I think it's important for us to notice that Paul is not demanding that the followers of Jesus have all the answers, right? Instead, he continues to pray for gifts to be given from God. May God give you a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation so that 
with the eyes of your heart enlightened, and that's just such a lovely phrase, huh? With the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints. How good is this news? The riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints. Here on All Saints Sunday, even as some of you remember loved ones who have died, it's good that we do so among the saints. We do so with a promise of a glorious inheritance. How could anyone keep from sharing this? Why would anyone not want to hear this? How is it even possible that the church in our country is in such rapid decline and so struggling when this precious good news is the treasure entrusted to us and our whole job is to figure out ways to give it away? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power for us who believe according to the working of His great power? God put this power to work in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. We are not making small talk here, folks. This is a gospel big enough to sit with us at the bedside and true enough to bring hope even at the graveside. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Whatever may be making you nervous this morning, whatever may be causing you to feel afraid even, whatever might be bringing you grief on this All Saints Day, it is no match for the one who holds you in an eternal promise. The one holding on to you is far above your crappy boss or that troubling diagnosis or that devastating loss. The one holding you is far above all rule and all authority and all power. You get that? And He has put all things under His feet and has made Him the head over all things for the church, which is His body. The fullness of Him who fills all in all. You mean the church that struggles to keep up with budgets and mortgages and aging buildings? That church? The church with potlucks and quilters and youth groups and, and, and choirs? That church? The community of faith in Christ that shows up with bars and cookies and ham sandwiches and a word, a gospel, good news big enough to do more than get us through. This is good news big enough for hope to remain and for joy to return. It is All Saints Sunday in Christ's church. It is All Saints Sunday here. And this gospel, this good news, is big enough. So on All Saints Sunday, you came to church. And you were reminded that you are the church. And you were fed and forgiven and sent back out into this world with a gospel big enough. Uh, big enough for all of the sadness, all of the loss, all of the fear, all of the anxiety. This gospel, this good news is big enough. You carry it within you. The body of Christ has been given for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. You carry it 
within you into this world. You leave not in fear, though you might be afraid. You leave not in sadness, though you may grieve. You can leave here in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.